welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we dive into the news of the day of Kevin Chevalier's meeting with Gary Bettman and the decision to not punish him as it pertains to the Chicago Blackhawks scandal. We'll also talk with Brian Doby, coach of the Manitoba Bison's football team, on their big game Saturday against the Saskatchewan Huskies. That's all coming up on the podcast. We are expecting a media availability next week, but a lot of people, and I think justifiably want to hear from Cheval Day off today. Some more urgency to this. The team had this meeting moved up from Monday to today, and now we wait all weekend, and a lot of fans are going to sit at home and they're going to watch a game tomorrow or listen to it on the radio, and there's, for a lot of them, going to be this thought of, well, I don't feel great about what happened today. Whether or not you agree with the decision it seems like we should hear from Chevy sooner than that beyond a short statement. And so we wait to hear what comes next when he says, make the game a safer space. We can use his courage to do that. We want to know what tangibly will be done to let that happen. And the NHL wants people to look at this story with some nuance to not paint with a broad brush. But I can't help but wonder if there is room for nuance here. Reading the Jenner and Block report about Kevin Dayoff and his involvement, you recall that there was a meeting in McDonough's office before a home game during the Philadelphia series, which is the Stanley Cup Finals, not the San Jose series. And it's, I add parenthetically, 11 years later, it can be, I, I couldn't tell you what I did in May of 2010. No chance. But anyway, back to the report. Regardless of when Dayoff believed the meeting occurred, he recalled being in a meeting in McDonough's office regarding Aldrich with others in senior management, including McDonough, Bowman, McIsaac, and Quenneville. He recalled the group was told that there were allegations that Aldrich was socializing with players outside the arena. Aldrich sent inappropriate texts to players. Aldrich made unwanted advances on players. Dayoff recalled that John Doe and Black Ace One were specifically referenced during the meeting. Dayoff also recalled that he felt shocked at the time because it was not common for coaches and players to socialize. He believed at the time that the allegations were serious. Further recalled someone stating that the allegations needed to be investigated, that someone would make sure the two players and Aldrich would be kept separate. And Dayoff recalled others, no other substantive details from the meeting. That's from the Jenner and Block report. And yes, the power structure being what it was, it is true that Dayoff was at the bottom of the ladder involved of the people involved in this meeting. It is true that his situation is not the same as Quenville, Bowman and McDonough and the rest. But assuming someone else will take care of it, is that enough? Radatesh wrote about the bystander effect in The Athletic where the presence of others makes one less likely to intervene in an emergency situation, which if we accept that, Murat wrote, then we accept the idea that the next time a group of powerful people meets to discuss something like this, they'll fail just like what happened 11 years ago. And it's very easy for me to say I would have said something had I been in that room 11 years ago. But I wasn't there. None of us were, except him and the other people that have all lost their jobs in the NHL. And I also wasn't raised in a culture that values conformity. I had not ascended the corporate ladder in an industry, hockey, that values winning above all else. There are reasons 
why Chevy assumed someone else would take care of it that are understandable if you look at the power dynamics. That's the nuance the NHL wants us to keep in mind. But that doesn't strike me as leadership. Leadership isn't stepping in line. It's not being a bystander. Leadership is saying it's wrong. Kyle Beach needed one good Samaritan. He didn't get one. Brad Aldrich would have been stopped. He went on to abuse others. He's been convicted. He has gone to jail. And that's not on Chevy solely. It is true that Chevy left the team not long after that. And it is true that he was not responsible for the inaction of senior management, which until today I thought an assistant GM was a member of, but okay. But one of the things I have the most trouble reconciling, and I think a lot of people do as well, from what I've read online, and again, Twitter and the internet is such a small portion of the world. Sometimes we can forget that so many people don't exist in a world that involves Twitter. They'll never see what goes on there. And to them, I would probably say you're probably having a happier life. But True North on its website has its vision, its mission. And there's a graphic that says we hold our values as an arguable truth. And there's three little cores to the team. There's trust and respect. There's continuous improvement. And there's do the right thing. And it's that last one that for many fans of the team, of the league, neutral observers even, today they're finding hard to square that with today's developments. That Shevel Dayoff is the one guy even if his involvement in that room was very limited in scope, he's the only one that's still employed in the NHL. And it'll be hmm, 60 hours or so, maybe, until we get to hear the voice of Chevy and or Mark Chipman. And the media can ask questions about it, about what comes next, about his role in all this. I trust the investigation was thorough, Absolutely. But one thing that's also missing is an apology. Can you say sorry without admitting guilt? If you believe you did nothing wrong, is there an apology? You can still say sorry that this happened to you, to Kyle Beach. The words I'm sorry have been said very little over the course of this week. That's something that's been missing. And beyond Shevel Dayoff, who is going to stay here, and again, one thing I look forward to hearing from him next week is, well, if you're going to stay here, how do we use this experience and propel a better world forward? I really think the only way to start seeing a major sea change that is actually needed in hockey culture probably involves someone else being in charge of the NHL. Not closely connected to Batman. Someone new and fresh. Completely no connections. Because something like this is the result of not just hockey culture, but it, it there, it's across sports. We see it in almost every level of sport, minor sports, Men's, women's, boys, girls, men abusing positions of power. 
mostly men. There are women, but it's almost always men. This is how the institution works. This is the hierarchy. There are traditions. There are codes. And I saw this online from Shreen Ahmed today. Men resigning from coaching or involvement, taking names off of cups, and we'll get to that in the next segment. That's not the solution to ending abuse. Recreating systems and ensuring transparency is essential. Transparency, it's a word we hear a lot. But is it really something that's a big part of sports? Men get away with harming people. That's built into sports. And resigning isn't justice. It's accountability. It's not justice, though. And so if we truly want change, we had this conversation last summer with the Hockey Diversity Alliance. Akeem Alou, still waiting for an investigation. And Kevin Sheveldayev was a part of his story, too, back in the day. The memo that was sent out yesterday by Gary Bettman reminding teams to report things like this directly to the NHL brass. Not law enforcement, but Bettman. And if you want to get back in the league, you talk to Bettman. It's all about power. It remains seemingly trying not to stir the pot, to sit quietly. And Rick Westhead, who's done such amazing reporting on this story, has pointed out how many people, organizations have changed their tune since the 107-page report was published by the Independent Investigation. Those trying to discredit John Doe in the summer, suddenly not so much. Asking the Hockey Hall of Fame to take a name off the cup, that's not our problem, pass it on to the NHL. Today, oh, they said, yes, we'll get right to it right away. This is the opinion of just one person sitting at his kitchen table. I get that. I'm not going to change anything. But are we going to seek some kind of incredible change at the top? No. No. Probably not. I wouldn't hold my breath on that. So Chevy is here to stay. We'll hear next week how they use this experience to make it hockey a better place. Remember, one of the core tenets of the True North mission statement is continuous improvement. And as we'll hear from Paul Maurice later on in the show, he believes truly that in the 11 years since this happened, there has been continuous improvement in the hockey world. But we're not even close to where we need to be, to where we can get to. Change happens at a glacial pace in hockey, behind the scenes. You've got decades and decades of entrenched power structures, white men controlling the narrative. And will that change anytime soon? Probably not. But we can hope for a better tomorrow, even if we think that the Decisions regarding yesterday are unsatisfactory, which I know a lot of you out there today believe is the case. Big time football game tomorrow afternoon. The Manitoba Bisons hosting the Saskatchewan Huskies. The Bisons coming off their first loss of the season last week at UBC, but they're still in position to clinch first place in Canada West Regular season play, if they can win tomorrow. Both teams ranked in the top ten. They're both three and one. It's a big game, enormous even. So to preview it, I'm joined by the longtime coach at the Bisons, Brian Doby. Brian, 
How do you feel about the way your team is sitting right now? Well, I, 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 I love, I love where we're sitting. I, you know, we had a, a real tough loss against UBC 26, 24 last weekend in Vancouver. Um, uh, you know, we were ranked four in the country and, you know, dropped a tad to, to number six, understandably. But, uh, you know, we're, we're tied for first place right now. And uh, with the University of Saskatchewan and whoever wins this game is is going to clinch first place, actually. And uh, we haven't been in this position for, for a number of years. So, you know, with still game, games remaining in the schedule to be able to have an opportunity to clinch first place. Um, again, that's a position we haven't been in for a while, and it's uh, it's it, it, it's great to be in that position. It's everybody's pretty motivated for sure. So, what's the situation at quarterback? Last week, you, you were you were riding Jackson Tachinski after Descatelli went down at the start of the season. Tachinski looked great for for a lot of the season, and then he goes out. Sawyer Tyson comes in. Uh, it was a struggle for him. Just looking at the box score, two of fourteen for fifty-one yards and a pick. What does it look like heading into tomorrow? <laughs> it looks interesting. Okay. Um, so, yeah, to basically reiterate, I mean, our number one quarterback is one of the best quarterbacks in the country, Des Catelier. Um, we feel we've got a really, really good football team, and, and suddenly right off the bat we lose him, right off the bat. losing. You know, that's like the Bombers losing Zach Kolaros. It, it, you know, it's, it's literally uh, uh, a really good comparison. And uh, – so uh, in our world, it's, it's totally um, a relative comparison. So up steps Jackson Tachinsky, and he's our number two guy, but he's a very good quarterback as well, very good. And, uh, and, and of course, you know, we were undefeated with him as, you know, as we moved along. And then uh, late in the first half out in Vancouver against UBC and um, – you know, he went down and, 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 you know, he's, he's now out for a while. Uh, Sawyer Thiessen, uh, who's right out of high school, right out of Steinbeck Collegiate, um, really, really, really good uh, high school quarterback. We recruited him really hard uh, as we did with Jordan Hanslip out of Vincent Massey, two young guys, 17, 18 years old, right out of high school. Suddenly now, um, Sawyer had to go into the game, come off his red shirt, um, and, and come into the game and, and, uh, you know, it moves pretty fast at this level. It's tough for young quarterbacks. So we, we just couldn't hold on to our lead and lost a close one, but you know, he's had another week of practice. Sawyer's going to start tomorrow. Who's he's our number three quarterback and he'll start, uh, and Jordan Hanslip will, will be ready. Uh, he'll be, he'll be backing them up and, you know, and, and that's where we're at. Two young pups, um, being, you know, thrown very, uh, uh, very quickly into a really, really, really pressure situation. It's going to be a really interesting experience, a really interesting challenge. And, you know, they're, they're both really excited about it and, and we're excited to, to, to see how they do, of course. So having now a week to get ready as opposed to just being thrown into the fire like last weekend, I'm sure there's more yeah. confidence for Sawyer going into tomorrow. And has the game plan changed a lot to kind of suit his skills? You're, you're asking all the right questions for sure. Uh, you, you got, people have to understand that when you're redshirting quarterbacks, they're, they're not running your offense anymore. 
they're running they're running scout team they're running the other players they're running the other players offense so our two young quarterbacks have been have been running UBC's offense Calgary's offense Alberta's offense suddenly now they're back to running our offense um but now you know now they've had some time to you know to 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 be able to focus and bear down and uh, they've looked really good in practice I mean, you can't buy experience. I mean, there's nothing we can do about that. They're incredibly inexperienced at this level, incredibly inexperienced. And there's, everything else is there. They're both really intelligent young men. They're, they're really good athletes. They're very, very good quarterbacks. Um, they just lack experience. And the only way to get experience is to get experience. And, and, and here we go. And they're off to a flying start in their first year of Bison football, I'll tell you. Um, but you know, yeah, we, we you know, we're not going to change our offense. Certainly we're going to refocus our offense. We're going to look at things that each of them do particularly well in their skill sets. Sawyer is very athletic. Um, he scored a touchdown in UBC, you know, with his feet evading a rush, um, and, and getting outside and, and, and getting around the corner and, and scoring from, I don't know, 15 yards out, um, big play. Uh, he's an athlete. Um, Jordan is more a pure pocket, uh, passer. And, uh, we've tried to, to focus our, you know, our, our game plan into condensing things, you know, keep it a little bit more limiting and, um, try to coach it up as best we can that, that will suit their, their, their abilities as best we can. So tell me about Saskatchewan and what makes them a tough opponent. Um, well, there's Saskatchewan. I, I mean, they're probably the program in the, in the country that I, in my career that I have the most respect for. I, I like how they roll. I, I really respect them. They're, you know, they're just like us. They're, they're a Prairie university team, you know, a tough football in, in Manitoba and Saskatchewan and Alberta. And, and, and they epitomize that, uh, they, they're extremely well coached, uh, you know, Scott Flory and, you know, his, his, his outstanding coach and his staff. But I think, you know, specifically, and obviously where you're going with the question is, what do they do really well? And, and uh, you know, uh, people that, that are real football fans and really get it, uh, you know, Scott Flory with, was with the Montreal Alouettes forever. And they really run the Alouette offense. Um, you know, they, they get the ball out quickly. Um, they, they read very quickly and get the ball out. So it's, it's tough to defend. Uh, they've got a great running game. And I'm telling you this point blank. There is no offensive line in, in, in the country of Canada and university football that looks like these guys. Uh, I'm, without exaggerating, I think if you took the, the starting five offensive linemen with the Rough Riders and the starting five with the University of Saskatchewan and put them in the same uniform and lined them up, you probably select two or three Husky players over Rough Rider players, just the way they look there. It's an enormous offensive line. You're, you know, a, a couple of those guys are going to be first and second round draft picks this year. Um, you know, and I'll be very happy to see them go. Uh, they, they run the ball really well. They're, they're starting tailbacks, first team all Canadian from 2019. So their offense is extremely strong. That's where, that's where they're at. Their offense is outstanding. Defensively, um, 
you know, their front seven is really good, but they're, you, you know, they're, they're, they're front, they're down linemen are, yeah, they're, they're, they're the group to beat in the conference. Our, our, our guys, I, I would say are literally on par. It's the two best defensive lines in, you know, in, in the conference, two of the best defensive lines in the nation at Manitoba and Saskatchewan. And, you know, so they're going to be, they're, they're big, they're, they're big and they're mean. They they're really aggressive. Um, we need to get our young quarterbacks to 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 try to get rid of the ball quickly and 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 hopefully get a good take on their first read and be able to to make a good decision. It's um, yeah, they're they're really good. They're the real deal. They they really are. Um, you know, there's probably only five or six teams in the country that really truly could win the Vanier Cup, and we're one of them. And, Saskatchewan is absolutely one of those teams. So I'll leave you with this. What would it mean to finish first in the regular season? Oh, it would mean so much, uh, you know, so much. Uh, it's been a long time. Uh, as I'm talking to you in this interview, our athletic director just walked by me and gave me two thumbs up. I mean, you know, we, we would love to host, uh, you know, to host a playoff game. We would love to host a playoff game. Um, and, and we've always been a really good home team, you know, uh, our records over the years certainly indicate that we're much better at home than we are on the road. Like most teams, um, it's an advantage and Canada West is so tight and so tough. Um, you want any advantage you can get, um, you know, for both practical reasons and for intrinsic reasons, uh, we would love to win this football game clinch first place and host a playoff game. Uh, that's, that's our goal. And I wish you the best of luck in trying to achieve that goal this weekend. Brian, thanks for your time as always. You bet. Thanks Christian. Appreciate right. it. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB sports show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from six 30 to 9 PM. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places, I'd imagine. So farewell, until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all, but